Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is great to see you this morning, and I want to welcome those of you online as well. I want to welcome those of you outside at, uh, at our outdoor venue as well. We got we got people all over the place, <laughs> so we got church in three different places, and I'm glad, I'm glad you're at one of the three. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17? We're in a series that we're calling Heroes. If you're visiting us for the first time today, I want to introduce myself. My name is Nathan. On behalf of everyone else who's here or everybody else who's watching online, we hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. But if you are new to Grace, you do need to know something about us. We are a Bible teaching and a Bible-believing church, and those actually are two different things. Uh, we believe that the Bible is God's truth to humanity. We believe that these words were, yes, penned by men, but these are God's words that are spoken. Uh, men just wrote it down, but these are God's words. And so when you come to Grace Community Church, every single time on a Sunday morning, we are going to open the Bible because we believe that this is God's source of truth for us. And the reason that I want you to bring your Bible or you're online and want you to open your Bible is because as we open it, it is, a, it is an action of saying, I don't know everything God does. It, it is a way of saying, I, I submit my way of doing it to God's way of doing it. Uh, My way of thinking gets replaced by God's way of doing it. And so what I I don't want you to do by not bringing your Bible is to think that these are my words, that I want you to trade your thoughts for my thoughts. Uh, I don't want you to to think the way that that I think. One is enough of me. Uh, But but I want you to trade your thoughts for God's thoughts. And so we believe that the Bible is true and it's God's words. And so we are a Bible teaching church, but we are also a Bible believing church, which means we believe that everything in here is true, that it is right. If I'm thinking something differently than scripture, that, that, that the Bible is right, not me. And because of that, we try to find a way to apply, to, to live out what we know about God. Now, some of scripture is just about God. And we just learn something about God, and that's, that's all that there is. There's not an apply there. We learn about the majesty, the righteousness, the holiness, the justice, uh, whatever it is of God. But many times there are areas that we can apply because not only is this true, some churches just teach it, but they don't do anything about it. <laughs> just fill up their brains, you know, stuff their brains. But we want to apply it. And so that's why I want you to open your Bibles every single week. And so hopefully you can find Exodus chapter 17 in the next few minutes. We're in the series that we're calling Heroes. And every generation has its heroes. But the heroes, generational heroes kind of fade over time. In the 1920s, the big hero was Charles Lindbergh in the Spirit of St. Louis. He was the, was the first you know, one-man flight from New York to Paris, and it was a really big deal, but eventually he kind of fell out of graces because his association with the Nazis and all this kind of thing, and so things just moved on. And 20 years later, now we have a new hero. Captain America is the new hero. His first name when they first developed Captain Hero was Super American. <laughs> Super American. I think they came up, I'm glad they came up with Captain America instead. And it was because we were in the war. It was, it was the World War time. And so all of our heroes were military heroes. So General MacArthur and Patton, these were our heroes. Little boys would dress up with their army helmets because they wanted to be like General MacArthur someday. But then time moves on and things move on and the, and the wars faded and so, so did those heroes also fade and it, it went into a kind of whole nother era with the Westerns. All the boys wanted to want to be a cowboy and people would play cowboys and Indians and you wanted to be the good sheriff, you wanted the bad sheriff, the black hat. And so uh, some of you watched Howdy Doody and some of you have no idea who that even is. So just use YouTube and you can still bring back Howdy Doody back from the dead and you can watch Howdy Doody if you'd like. But you know, this is Westerns and John Wayne were the heroes. But then the 60s come along and that era changes and those heroes just kind of fade in the background and all of a sudden the 60s, it's all about music. And so it was Elvis and the Beatles and the Beach Boys and, and all of those musicals. And so people wanted to play the guitar and I want to be on stage and I want to be in the limelight. Our heroes just kind of fade and change as our culture fades and change. Then we get to the 80s. Now that's my era. Right? Now who do you think is the number one hero of the 1980s. 
It's all wrapped up in one letter. Just one, one letter. Mr. T. I pity the fool. Mr. T had his own cereal. You know that you've reached the, the upper echelons of, of heroism when you have your own cereal. Man, Mr. T. Well, of course, the 80s have faded. I bet you haven't thought about Mr. T in quite a long time. We move on to the 90s. In the 1990s, your TV was the hero. 1991 was the year where more people watched TV than any other year in human history, including even up until today, 1991. And so maybe you had a TV that looked just like that. Maybe you still do. <laughs> you haven't moved into the 20th century, much less the 21st century yet, and so you're still rocking the 1990s TV. But our heroes were TV heroes, you know, the TV show ER or Home Improvement or Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. Uh, so one of those was your hero along the way, but then we get to the 2000s and we have a new generation and now SpongeBob becomes the voice of another generation. And sure enough, he actually has, just this last year, Nickelodeon, who kind of is, is SpongeBob, uh, they, they just kind of went, went to LGBTQ++++ with SpongeBob, and he's, he's pro that justice movement. And so certainly, unfortunately, he has become the voice of another generation. But I bet you probably haven't thought about SpongeBob too often because our heroes just constantly change and they fade over time. But God has placed heroes in Scripture so that they would not be forgotten, so that we could emulate their life. We could see what a godly life is like and so that we could emulate their life. And so God's placed many heroes in Scripture. Some of them are memorable and obvious you know, like Samson. Samson's like, like top echelon hero. The dude beat a thousand guys with a dead donkey bone. That's cool, you know. You never forget that kind of thing. But this, this series is kind of like the another echelon of hero, the, the ones that, that aren't like the, the A-listers. This is, this is the, the ones that don't get the front page. These are the ones that you might not think about as being heroes throughout Scripture, but God places them here too so that we would know how to live our lives, what a godly life is like. And so today is Joshua. Today is Joshua. And you're like, what? Joshua is like a number one hero. He, he is like a, a game. He is like top list. But before you, before you think that, who was his, uh, who was his mentor? Who, who was his uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi? Who, who was his Yoda, the, the, the one that came before him? It was Moses. Now, Moses, that is top echelon. Moses is a game front page. I mean, you know, front of CNN.com. Moses is the, is the big man on campus. Maybe only secondary, complete biblically, maybe to Abraham. Moses is an A-lister. And... And so, Joshua, compared to Moses, is a scrub. The Bible calls Moses the most humble man who ever lived. Now, if you say that, that about you, that you're the most humble man that ever lived or woman that ever lived, it's not true. But if the Bible says that about you, then it is true. And so Joshua is standing in the shadows of the most humble man who ever lived. And so I'm certainly here not to tear down who Joshua is. He's certainly a great man, but uh, he's, not, he's not in the same category as, as Moses uh, was. The only reason that we know about Joshua is because Moses laid in his life. He kind of crumbled um, and he, 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 he kind of messed up. And the only reason that we know of who Joshua is is because Moses messed up. It's like in a NASCAR race. Any NASCAR fans here? No, okay, we have, yes, these are our NASCAR fans here. Um, no one else wants to own up to it. You know, cars just go round and round in a circle. But it's like being number 42, you know, you're like, you're 42nd 
in a NASCAR race on the very last lap. And all of the leaders in front of you get in this giant wreck. That's why you watch NASCARs because of the wrecks. They get in this giant wreck and number 42, the 42nd place, weaves through all the carnage and actually wins the race because of the big wreck that happens in front of them. That's the only reason that we know of who Joshua is, is because Moses wrecked in the very last lap and now we know who, who Joshua is. And so the 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 main idea that I want you to remember today is that godly people are obedient when it doesn't make sense. That if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember that godly people are obedient even when it doesn't make sense. When life is easy and things make sense, it's, it is easy. When, when life just is going the way that it should go, when you work hard and you get the raise, yeah, it makes sense. Things, things are good. I, I, I can live like, life like that. When I raise my kids and teach them the way that, that they should go and they turn into great human beings, man, that's so good. When, I, when I'm nice to other people and they're nice to me back, I put my dollar in the vending machine and it spits out two Coke Zeros, one that I deserved and one that was just like a bonus, you know? Man, when life is like that, it's easy to live life. It's easy to be obedient to God when things are easy, but life isn't usually like that, is it? You don't usually live a life like that. A lot of times, it's I go to work and I work hard, and the other lazy idiot is the one that gets a promotion. It's like that. I teach my kids the, the way that they should go, and then they turn their back on it all and don't turn into good humans, they turn into bad humans. I'm nice to other people and they throw it in my face. I put the dollar in the vending machine and it doesn't give me even one, it just eats my dollar. Life is like that. And so godly people are obedient even when it's like that. Godly people are obedient even when the results don't make sense, even when things kind of seem a little insane, even if it's illogical, when everybody else would say, only a dummy would do that, but we still do it. We don't do it because we're a glutton for punishment. We don't do it because we like to be hurt or like to be crushed. It's because we have a love for and a desire to obey our Heavenly Father anyway. And so that's the main idea. And Joshua is certainly a hero in Scripture as an example for that. And so that's why I ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 17. This is the first place that we see Joshua in the Bible. And you're like, aha, I know where we see Joshua the very first time. It's the spies going into Canaan, spying things out. That's the first time we think of when we think of Joshua. But that's not this. This is the time before that. You didn't even know that Joshua was in the Bible before that time. Oh, he is. This is the first time. Exodus chapter 17, look at verse 13. First time that we see Joshua in the Bible. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So over his lifetime, Joshua is known as one of the greatest military generals um, in this era, and this happens to be a battle against the Amalekites, right? And so it says here that he is overwhelming the Amalekites. He is winning the battle, and, and you'd be tempted to think, like I would, that the reason that he's winning is because he's one of the greatest generals, because he's mapped out all of his plans, he knows where everybody's going to be, he sent all the right bombers to all the right places, and that's why he's winning, but that's not why he's winning at all. Look up just two verses above it, and it tells us why he's winning this battle. Look at verse 11. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel, the nation, prevailed in this battle. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus, his hands were steady until the sunset. So let me just kind of tell you kind of what this weird, miraculous thing is happening here. So the, the, the guys are out there fighting. 
But they start winning when Moses, Yoda, Mr. Miyagi, lifts up his hands. And then they start to lose. Soldiers get killed when his hands go down. And so Moses, he's towards the end of his life. He's tired. He's an old man. He's like, I got to sit down. I'm, I'm getting tired fighting with my hands like this. So they roll over a rock, put the rock down. Moses sits on the rock. Then we have these two other guys who just stand there. But, you know, one, one hand is on one shoulder. And, you know, another guy standing here with the other hand on his other shoulder. And so his hands are just like permanently up like this being held. And so why is Joshua winning the battle? It has nothing to do with Joshua. It has nothing to do with his skills. It has nothing to do with anything that he planned. It has to do with the old dude sitting on the rock. That's it. When the guy gets tired, I lose. The, 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 the guy lifts up his hands, I don't lose. Now put yourself in, in Joshua's place for a minute. Right? You're one of the greatest generals that have, has ever existed. You've spent months working out your battle plans with the Amalekites. You know where you're, you're sending 100 there, sending 2,000 there. You're coming up from the rear on this side, and you're, you're going in right in front on this side. And you, you know where you're going to send your bombers, and you know when you're going to launch the, the, the missiles. And you're ready. Right? You, you have thousands of men that are underneath you that you take responsibility for. They have wives and kids at home, and they all want to go home and see their wives and kids too. And so you take responsibility for their lives. Not only that, your own life is on the line. And so if you were Joshua, you would probably think, wait a minute. <laughs> you want me to keep fighting even if the old dude gets tired. <laughs> you, you want me to be out there, my life on the line, these soldiers to die, even if this guy just kind of gets tired with his hands. Why don't we all just step back, let Moses, we could all lift up Moses' hands, let's stick the whole army underneath Moses' arms, and then boom, we'll just solve it. This is insane. This is crazy. And you would be right. It is crazy. It just doesn't make sense. And yet, Joshua did it anyway. And of course, the, the, the ultimate moral of the story is that it had nothing to do with Joshua and it had nothing to do with Moses. It was God that was going to get them through this. It was only God that could, could handle this ish, issue. Ultimately, is God. And so here's just one. The very first time we see Joshua in Scripture, he is being obedient even when it seems absolutely insane crazy. Only an idiot would do that. You're, you're doing something that no one else should do. I, I get it. I know. But that's the way that God has it, and so that's the way that I'm going to do it. This wasn't the only time. Turning your Bibles a little bit further to the book of Numbers. If you don't know where Numbers is, that's okay. Just skip one book and then go to the next one. So you're in Exodus, so then you'll just skip one book, which is Leviticus, and then you get to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Now you remember with Israel that, that God promised Israel their own country, their own land. I mean, it's called the promised land after all. That They had been in Egypt, and in Egypt they didn't have their own land, but they were thankful to be there. But after a while they became enslaved, and once you know, Moses and let my people go and, and, you know, parting the Red Sea and all those sort of things, that now they're looking for their own country and their own land. And God promises that there is one that he is going to give them, but he's going to have Israel go through the motions of taking it over. Okay? Obviously, God is going to give it to them, but they're going to go through the motions. Just like Joshua had gone through the motions in that battle with the Amalekites, God was doing the winning, it was going to be the same thing all over again. And so we kind of see what happens as they start to do that. Look at Numbers 13, beginning at verse 2. In verse 2, God is talking to Moses, and he says, Send out for yourself 
men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of the father's tribes, every one a leader from among them. Take one person from each tribe, send them in. There are 12 tribes of Israel, Israel and so how many guys go in? 12, 12 guys go in and they're spying out the land. Hey, I wonder what's in there. I wonder what their, I wonder what their military enforcements are like. I, I wonder what the cities are like. I wonder what the people are like. I wonder what the, what the you know, is it good farmland? Is it, is it rocky? What, what, what's it like in there? And they spent 40 days, over a month, scoping out this new land. And so those 12 spies they finally come back. And now you know this story. It's not like I'm telling the story to, to somebody that's never heard it before. You know what happens during these events, but, but let's look at them. They come back, those spies come back, and look at chapter 13, verse 31. In verse 31, here's the results from the majority of the spies. Twelve spies went in, and ten came back with this report verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, this is the report, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are huge cannibals in there. It is a land that eats its prey. It's a, the, the guys are too big, the guys are too strong. It would be insane for us to go in there. It would not make sense. It'd be stupid. Nobody else would do it. And I don't think we should do it either. Ten of the spies came back and that was the message that they gave to all of Israel. We went out on CNN, everybody's watching it on their phone. This is the report. Now, there were 12 that went in. 10 came back with the, this is absolutely crazy report. But two more, the other two came back. One was Caleb and one was Joshua, our hero. And these two guys have a different perspective. They don't agree with the 10. Look at chapter 14, verse 7. Chapter 14, verse 7, it says, And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so Joshua comes back and he says, yeah, I get it that it doesn't make sense. Those guys are big. I, I I get it that it might seem like a foolish decision to make, but I think we should go in there anyway. I think we should be obedient to God. I get it that it seems insane, but I think we should go anyway. Well, you know how the events go as the nation is watching this on, on their phone. They have to pick. Are we going to go with the 10 with the bad news, or are we going to go with the two with the good news? Well, you know, they picked, they went with the majority. Those 10 guys convinced Israel that no, it's too scary. We are not going to be obedient to God. We are not going in to the promised nation, the promised country, the promised land. And so because of that, there's a judgment that immediately comes from God. It didn't, didn't take too long. And so chapter 14, verse 34 Here's the judgment. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days. So how long were those spies in the land? 40 days. For every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years. And you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken surely. This I will do to all this evil generation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be destroyed and 
there they will die. So here is the judgment for the entire nation, for the group of people, all 12 tribes together. Because you were not obedient, you're going to go and take a long hike. You're going to go up through Apple Valley. <laughs> it's all desert out there. And you're just going to be walking from, from Apple Valley, and you're going to end up in Death Valley, and you are going to die in the desert as a judgment for your slowness to respond, your slowness to be obedient. Now we saw those ten, those 10 spies that brought back the bad report, and there's even a quicker judgment for them. Look at verse 36 of Numbers 14. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and whom returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. I don't know what plague it was. It wasn't COVID because COVID just doesn't kill that many people and all of them got killed here. Whatever it was, boom, it was like a hundred percenter. And verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of this other guy, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. The two guys who did not bring back the bad report, they wanted to obey God. They were spared in all of this. Now, Israel, the nation, realizes that, hmm, maybe we should actually obey. <laughs> Maybe we, we should do what God says. Look at verse 40. Numbers 1440, it says, In the morning, however, they, meaning the people of Israel, rose up early and went to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are, God. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. They finally realize, huh, maybe we should obey. Now, why did they, why did they decide to obey? <laughs> it all of a sudden made sense. Okay, if we don't obey, we're going to wander around Death Valley until we die. If we don't obey, we just saw these 10 dudes get killed right in front of us. So, huh, I think if I was to, to, to wander in the desert and die or promised land, we'll pick Promised land for 100, Alex, please. Thank you. We'll go with that. But it was too late. It was too late. And these aren't the only people in human history to realize that a slowness to obey is disobedience. And they did pay the price. You know the rest of the story. They did wander around in Apple Valley to Death Valley for 40 years, and that entire generation did die out, except for Caleb and Joshua. And God eventually had Joshua lead the nation of Israel back into that promised land. What was interesting about that is nothing changed in the promised land in those 40 years. The same big, bad, evil dudes, they were still there. Their military encampments, they were still there. The, the land still, still ate. <laughs> I don't know how the land eats, but the land was eating people in there, and so the land was still hungry. It, it still was insane, even 40 years later, to go into the promised land. Nothing changed. And yet Joshua's like, oh, <laughs> I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go in there and take it. And the very first scene, as they go into this promised land, this promised country, God tells Joshua, hey, uh, why don't you take over that city? It's a big walled city. Uh, why don't you um, beat those guys by walking around it? How about that? <laughs> and, Josh, and Joshua, I know what you, you'd say, what? Let me launch some missiles, man. I could, we could launch some Patriot missiles from here. Boom, just sit back, press a few buttons, and uh, drop a bomb, and set. I mean, he had the plans. He was a great military general. And God says, hey, you just, just walk around it. That's good. You're good. And so that's exactly what they do. They go walk around it seven times, and all of a sudden the walls fall in. They didn't even touch a wall. God pushed the walls in. Here's another scenario of where God just wants them to obey, and God handles all the rest. But it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it seems insane to conquer your enemy by walking around them. But Joshua was obedient. 
And this was not the only time that he was obedient. There's more. I'll show you one more. Turn in your Bibles now to Joshua, the book of Joshua. Now, that isn't too far away. You just skip another book, okay? You just skip another book. You go Numbers, skip a book, Deuteronomy, and then you get to Joshua, okay? Joshua chapter 24. Now, Joshua's obedience is most obvious in this book that has his name on it. Now, obviously, we already have seen that Joshua's life is in other parts of this uh, Bible than just this book that has his name on it. But this is where his obedience is the most obvious. So let me kind of tell you what's happening in this. We've, we've gone a little further, so that means we've gone a little bit further in time. And so now, Israel, the nation, is living in the promised country. They're in the country. Now, obviously, they took over uh, all these cities and all these places, and so they're living among the people that were already living there, but the nation and the 12 tribes, they've set up their swing sets, and they have a post office, and Amazon trucks are delivering everywhere. It's now their country, right? And so now let's get it in Joshua 24, verse 15. So Joshua says to the entire nation, it says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or the gods of your fathers, uh, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, in my house, one of the most famous sayings in the Bible, and probably the, the saying that we know from Joshua the best, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he says, you gotta pick. You, you have to pick. Maybe even a better way to say, you get to pick. But you need to pick. You could either do it like your forefathers. He's referencing his, their, their, their family, their uh, their grandparents, remember their grandparents died in the wilderness, but they came out of Egypt. And so they were beyond the river. They were beyond the Jordan River. They were, grew up in Egypt and they started to worship the Egyptian gods and come up with some kind of weird formulated version of mix, you know, mix what they knew about God with mix what they knew of, of the Egyptian situation. And, and you got some weird kind of twisted sort of theology and doctrine and and religiosity. And so he said, you could do it like your grandparents did. You can do it like that. You could worship those kind of things and do it that way and kind of hope that you get to heaven by the way that they, said, that they said to do it. Or you can pick the way that the culture is doing it now. Okay? You're around the Amorites. Uh, they had little gods that they would, you know, make out a little stick and you'd, you know, put some googly eyes on it and put a you know, pipe cleaner, smile on it, and boom, there's our God, you know. Sharpie on some rocks, you know. Painted rocks, boom, there's our God. So that's, you know, you could do it like the culture that you are living in. Remember, they moved into Amorite territory. It's now their land, but they're living among all of these pagans. And so you could do it like the Amorites. You could do it like your parents did at the weird, funky religiosity that they had. Or you can do it like you're, the culture that you're in. You could do it like that too. Or there's a third option. You could do it like I'm going to do it. You can do it like my family's going to do it. We're going to serve the one true God because we believe that everything he says is true. We believe that, that everything that he directs is the best for us. You get to pick, but you have to pick. You can't just be all willy-nilly. Is that a, like a, you, you, just can't, you just can't, you know, just, uh, just do whatever. You got to pick. Okay. You, you can't just, you know, when you're with your family and, yeah, okay, we're good people and we're really nice and, and that's how God is going to like it because we're just really good people and we give to good causes. In our family, we bought the, the, uh, the front door to, to this uh, uh, place, this uh, nonprofit organization. And so, you know, that's how our family is just, that's how we do it. 
And then, though, when you get to work or when you're around your friends, you do it the way the culture says. You do it the, the way that everybody else is trying to uh, be good and get, get themselves to heaven and, and be righteous. And then on Sunday, though, you're like, boom, I'm all pious, and look at me, I'm a godly one. You can't do that. You, you get to pick, but you have to pick. You can't just be waffling between all these. You got to pick. Well, they had to pick. Joshua had chosen. Joshua had chosen following the one true God, the Lord. He's like, just pick something. You wimps, pick it. And the decision that, that these people needed to make is the same decision that every person throughout human history since this time has had to pick. Everybody has to pick. Everyone. You're in here, you need to pick between one of these three. If you're online, you need to pick one of these three. If you're outside in the blue sky, the nice sun, you need to pick. And you can pick whatever you want. You could pick the way that your family did it. Hey, your family used to go to this church or they used to do that thing and they used to try to be good this way and they, you know, your parents kind of combined their, their, their family's histories and they combined them together and made their own kind of weird kind of religiosity thing. There's no real book that says anything that they ever kind of actually believe, but, but you know, that's just, the, that's just the way that they did it. You can pick that. You can pick the way that our culture does it right now. You can pick to, to pick some sort of social justice program and be all pro that and be on the right side of history and so that then you're just gonna do it the right way in our culture and pick that. Or, now that we even know more in the New Testament about who God is and about his revealing to us now, or you pick Jesus Christ. You draw close to God. But you need to pick you can't just on, you know, you can't just when with, with your family, oh yeah, we all kind of weird sort of funky, weird, weird old religiosity stuff, and then when you are around your friends, you do it the way that, that all your friends are doing it and the rest of the culture is doing it, and on our Facebook, that's what you're posting, uh, this, this movement or that movement, and, and uh, down with those people and up with those people, and you know, uh, uh, politics this. And then when you get to church, oh, oh I'm all spiritual, and I love Jesus. And everybody here at Grace thinks that you love Jesus because that's all that they know about you. You've got to pick. Pick one. I don't care. Pick one. Do not waffle between these. Pick. That, that's what Joshua is saying. You've got to pick. Now, if you're here with your parents today, you don't have to pick what your parents pick. If your parents have picked the Lord and you're here because they just made you come, pick something else. But you got to pick. Don't just pretend you're a Christian on Sunday and then go somewhere else in the middle of the week and, and be completely not. Just pick. Now that's also good on the other side that if your parents did not pick the Lord, you can. You can be obedient to him even if they didn't. You're not born into some sort of um, religious cult where whatever your parents said, that's what you have to be. Now, I know that for some, for some people, and I think for, for Israel, the hardest one was what, what my family used to do. They were very family-oriented, and I know many of us are family-oriented too. And I get it. When, when our family says something and does it a certain way, we, we almost, in our minds or in our culture, it's almost demeaning to them if we don't do what they did. But it is not demeaning to your family to not choose their way. It is not demeaning to them. It is honoring to, it's honoring to God when you choose him. So, Whatever family you're in, whether your family used to do it some weird way or still does do it some, you can pick something else. If your family drags you to church or if your family is always sending you text messages with Bible verses that just drives you crazy, then pick something else. But you've got to pick. You have to pick. And of course, we know from as the New Testament has revealed even more about this choice and this God, 
We know that Jesus Christ is the only way to draw near to God. We know that it is Jesus Christ being God in the flesh, God becoming human on Christmas Day, living a perfect life and never sinning. And so when he dies on the cross, he's dying for my sin and not even his own. And, and when we put our faith and trust in him, all of a sudden we become a new creature in Christ and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to, to, to do the things that we're talking about, about uh, being obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Not, and we don't be obedient just to get ourselves to heaven. We are obedient because we are already going to heaven. And so you just have to pick. You need to pick. Now, one of the common threads of the heroes in modern culture and the heroes in, in the Old Testament is that most of the heroes failed towards the end of their life. Many heroes today, you know, they, they were a hero at one point in time and then some new story comes out and you're like, I cannot believe that. But these are humans in Scripture too. I mean, they're not... They're not goody goody holier than thou's righteous people they they messed up too think back in your brain all the heroes of the bible noah failed later in life um david david was a big i mean he's like a-lister and and he failed later in his life of course mr miyagi yoda here moses he failed late in his life and that's now why we know who joshua even is but interestingly joshua is an exception to this rule joshua never failed God at the end. And I think the reason is, is because he followed God even when it doesn't make sense. You know, when you, we start to put our own logic in it, that's when we're slow to obey. Because like, I don't think any logical person would ever do that. It, it, when it's logical, it's easy to obey. You know, when someone says, you should move to Florida, you're going to get a job that pays double, and the cost of living is half of here in California. You're like, whoa, that's like a four-time pay rate increase. That's, that's easy to obey. If someone says to you, don't eat the food that has green fur on it. <laughs> green fur? Don't eat it. That makes sense. I, I, I have no problem following that instruction. I can be obedient to don't eat the green fur. But when things start to not make sense, that's when it's hard to be obedient. And the Bible has many things in it that are hard to do. There are many things in Scripture that just do not make sense. Let me share a couple of them with you. Submitting to your spouse even when they don't deserve it. Did you know that if you're married, you are to submit to your spouse even when they don't deserve it. And so wives, are you fitting into your husband's plans? Husbands are like, yeah, you tell them, you tell them, pastor. Well, the Bible also says the other thing the other way for those of you who are husbands, that you are to sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed for us. That means giving up his life. And so husbands, are you doing that with your spouse? Are you giving up all of your rights and, and listening to your wife and doing it the way that she would prefer to do it for, so that she can be edified? Even if she doesn't deserve it, that seems crazy. That seems insane. Our culture would not tell you to do that. If you go to uh, if you go to a psychologist in Riverside, even family uh, family therapists that are call themselves Christian, they would not give you this advice because it's crazy. But godly people are obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Or you work hard for your boss even when they're a jerk, even when he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I know, your boss is a jerk. I can confirm, okay? I don't even know him, but I can confirm your boss is a jerk. But do you work hard for him even when he doesn't deserve it? I know that's crazy. I know that that doesn't make sense. But that is biblical direction. That's why we have to establish at the very beginning that this is truth. The way that I think is not, but this one is truth. That's why we open these words so that, so that we can say not the way that I think, but the way that you think. The Bible says respect your parents even if they don't deserve it. So if you're a teenager in here, yes, I can confirm you're smarter than your parents. Okay? I, I know that you think you are. Yes, you're smarter than your parents. Okay? Do you still respect them? You're still obedient to them. Even when it doesn't make sense, we are obedient. 
most of us or our adults, our parents are grown up and we can look back and maybe some things that they did and, and maybe you could say, oh man, I would never do that. That was, that was wrong that they did that. Do you still respect them? Do you still honor them still today? Even if they don't deserve it because they did some things that just aren't deserving of it? See, it doesn't make sense. It seems crazy. It seems insane. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nope. I'm just being obedient to the Lord. Do you give financially, give sacrificially to God, even if your pastor doesn't deserve it, even if the sermon is lame and it goes too long? Do you still give to God? Even when it doesn't make sense, even when the pastor doesn't deserve it? Because giving is not a, a, it's not, it's not a tip for a good sermon or a good music or removing it when you didn't get what you want. Giving is an act of worship to God. It's worshiping Him. It's praising God for every good thing that we have. It's giving back to Him. Do you pray for the politicians even when they don't deserve it? That one's hard. I mean, because they don't deserve it. Now, Joshua said, for me and my house, we picked. We, we picked the Lord. Now, what did the rest of Israel do? Well, the Bible tells us what the rest of Israel did in verse 21. In verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And so they picked one. They picked the Lord. They picked the one true God. We're going to do what he says. We're going to do it his way. We're going to pick. And I want you to pick two. I want you to pick too. I want you to pick one of these three. Today's a day for you to choose. Some of you have already chosen putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you need to pick. Maybe you never thought of it this way. You could just kind of do whatever. And, and if I can combine them all, maybe that might actually get me there. Jesus, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can pick any of these three. But Jesus, out of his own mouth, said only one of them is going to get you to heaven, is going to have a rescued soul. The other ones, it might be easier to live your life. It might, you might have fewer frustrations in life. But I can tell you, Moses warned. Moses warned in the decision. He said this in uh, verse 20. Look at verse 20 of Joshua 24. He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he, meaning God, will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. <laughs> he says, hey, when you're making this decision of these three, you just need to know that the things that God hates, is gonna, it's going to hurt you. And the things that God loves, it's going to bless you. Now with that information, now you could pick. And so you can see why Israel in the very next verse says, no, <laughs> we're going to serve the Lord. And you need to know this too. You can pick any of these three. I, I, don't, I, I hope you choose one, but you have to pick and own it. But you do need to know that what God hates is going to hurt you and what God loves is going to bless you. You need to know this. Now, with all of that, pick. You decide. You can do it the way your family has always done it, weird religiosity ideas they have, the way our culture does it and says it, the jumping onto some bandwagon and riding that bandwagon until it becomes unpopular and then jumping on the next one, or choosing the Lord. Putting your faith and trust in this Jesus, the God who came and died on the cross for our sins. See, when he dies on the cross, he's not dying for his sin, he's dying for mine, and that's a good thing because I have sinned. And I'm going to bet that, that you probably have too, and you're like, no, I'm not as bad as the person I, I'm sitting next to. No, you're not. You're way better than them. You are way better than the person that's sitting across from you on the couch or next to you on the chair. You're way better than them. But when it comes to this comparison game, we don't get to compare ourselves to the worst person we can think of. We have to compare ourselves to God. God is holy. He is completely righteous. He's perfect in all of his ways. He is completely just, but also completely loving all at the same time. Are you any of those things? We, we'd even admit that we're not righteous. 
And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is dying on the cross, paying for our sin so that we can have the hope of eternity in heaven. I want to give you the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to pick Christ. You don't, you, you, you don't need today to pick any of these other things. But you needed to hear the gospel to pick Christ. Now you know who he is. That's the gospel. The good news is that Jesus is God, that he came to die on the cross for your sin so that you don't have to pay for them in hell, but he took the punishment, and if you have faith in his salvation, he will take your soul to heaven when you die as opposed to hell because your sins were already poured out on Jesus Christ through God's justice. That's the gospel. And so, now you know. Pick. Pick one. I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus today, though. Um, that's the one that, that I'm going to tell you about. And all you need to do is pray to God. You just talk to him in the quietness of your own heart. Here in the room, I'm going to ask, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes today? That just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. If you're online, you can just continue to look at me. And this is what you could say to God in the quietness of your own heart. He already knows what's on your mind, so you don't have to say anything out loud. But in your own heart and mind, you could say this to God. You could say, God, I know that I have sinned. I've done things I shouldn't have done. And so, I need a savior. I need a rescuer. And I believe that Jesus is that rescuer. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life. And so that when he went to the cross, he wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for mine. And I believe that that death is what pays the price. And I believe that he rose from the grave three days later. I believe that. That he rose from the grave, proving that he is God and he can wash away my sin. I believe it. I put my trust in this. I put my eternity, my faith in this. The immediate promise is that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and will help you to be obedient to the things that he tells you. Not because it gets you to heaven, but because you already are. Now, many of you are already believers. You, you, you already put your faith in Jesus. You already picked. Um, but maybe you've kind of haven't been very obedient in the areas that just don't make sense to you. And now you're kind of realizing, wait, I'm only doing the things that make sense to me, not the things that are godly. And so today's a day for you to recalibrate your heart. You could say this to God. You could say, God, I'm sorry for uh, being disobedient in areas that that." didn't make sense to me. I've been slow to obey and I'm sorry. That's wrong of me. I pray that you'd help me to be obedient to you this week in what you call me to do. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for placing these heroes in scripture so that we can follow and emulate them and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.